Studies show the average parent only gets about 15 minutes of face time with their pediatrician during a well-child checkup. There's a lot to be said, and thus a lot as a parent you forget to ask in that short time. I'm Dr. Johnson, Chief of Pediatrics at Sharp Mary Birch Hospital for Women and Newborns, and I'm here to talk with you about how to ask the right questions so that you get the most out of your pediatrician visits. This is Parent Savers, Episode 1. Faster than a speeding toddler. Sit still for just a minute. Can soothe boo-boos with a gentle kiss. Did you get down from there? Able to clean poopy bottoms in a single swipe. Oh, what did you eat? Turning frazzled mommies and daddies into procreators of peace and harmony. Ah, quit touching me. It's Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the first episode of Parent Savers. I'm your host, Casey, and I'm so excited to kick off our online radio show, broadcasting at the Birth Education Center in San Diego. Visit our website, www.parentsavers.com, for more information on how you can be a part of our show. You can send us comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website, or you can call the Parent Savers hotline at 619-866-4775, and you can be a part of our show. I'm a new mother to son Carson. He's 15 months old, and I'm joined by three new parents here in the studio. My name is Owen Hemsath. I'm 31. I am a videographer and a social media guy. Uh, I actually have uh, one stepchild, and my firstborn, was, Jameson, was born just a... Uh, Geez, what is it, nine months ago? So he's still a, a new guy. I got two kids total and one on the way. My name's Mark Granallo. I'm 32. I'm a web developer. Uh, I have a daughter, Lily, who is five months old. My name is Angela Bailey. I'm 31. I'm a stay-at-home mom to my daughter, Addison, who is 19 months old. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's kick off today's episode with some unbelievable parenting stories making headlines on the internet. All these stories are posted on our Parent Savers Pinterest board if you want to check them out. Before I tell you um, my article, I was looking at pictures of some friends on the um, Facebook, and I saw my friend who has a child the same age as my son, and he was in a car seat facing forward. A 2000 study said that children under two are 75% less likely to die or severely injured in a crash when facing backwards. Do I tell my friend on Facebook, hey, by the way, you turn your child background or does that, you know, just get a little bit too much in her business? I would just post a, <laughs> like something to your page of a picture because for me, safety is number one. Mm-hmm. Addison is a big 19 month old. She's 30 pounds. She's you know, 36 inches tall and I'll have her backwards facing until her car seat, until she grows out of it backwards facing, which I think is 45 pounds or so. How old did you, how old was she when you moved her from her infant seat to the convertible seat? The convertible seat, I moved her at about nine months because she was so big, but still backwards facing. Mm -hmm. Um, And she doesn't like the car seat very much. So I thought maybe her being more upright, seeing out the window a little better might help things. It didn't, but it was 
worth a try. Well, maybe when it eventually <laughs> faces forward, she'll be all over. Yeah. I think you run into an issue as well with the cost. I mean, here, this this law's new, um, and, and so so parents out there were have a setup for, for one type of, of legal system, mm-hmm. and then overnight, the legal system changes, and, and here we are in a down economy, a uh, lot of single, uh, you know, one-income families, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you have to buy these new things immediately, and it's like, you know, I'm thinking, hey, if I were a parent that had this four-facing, well, I, he hasn't been hurt since, uh, you know, ever. Uh, I don't have the money right now, and uh, like in, in a case for us, we act, we had to buy a new car to accommodate these laws. Hmm. So th- there's tremendous costs involved um, with with switching this stuff over. So I think that might might play a little bit of a role. Well, and it also says babies should face rear facing until two, but then. In addition to the law, is that older siblings should use the booster seat until they're at least eight right. or four foot nine? Well, I got some family members that should be in booster seats then. Right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you see the you see the weight limits on some of the uh, the intermediate seats and the booster seats, especially there. They go up to like ninety pounds. You know, there's yeah. high schoolers that could that should still be. <laughs> yeah. I could have. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. High yeah. <laughs> I know. We like we sat in the way back. You know, in the seat that faced backwards and made faces at the cars behind uh-huh. us. Yeah. You know, no seats there. That's right. That's see. That's why it's because of these laws that we got tinted windows. I think it's important to know the law, though. It really is, because the bottom line is is that we want to be, even if we don't agree with the law, we want to be in, uh, you know, consistent with it. And it's a good example to our kids that, that even if we, you know, disres- disagree with the authority, that we do respect the authority. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable. With stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Today on Parent Savers, we have Dr. Johnson with us to help us make the most of those pediatric doctor visits. But before we start with the pediatric doctor visits, what types of questions do we ask in our pregnancy for choosing a pediatrician? Well, first of all, you know, I think so many families spend so much time picking an obstetrician, and Mm -hmm. they do it in so many rational ways. And the pediatrician often gets forgotten, and sometimes they're picked at the time of delivery, so... Uh, my first introduction to a family might be a mom who's coming off morphine and has no idea I'm in the room. <laughs> um, so what I always recommend, and a lot of pediatricians do that, are meet the doctor visits before you deliver, if possible, so that you go in, you kind of get a sense of their office, how it runs, the people there. Do people say hello to you, or do they just sort of walk by you like robots? You want to find out how available the pediatrician is. There are some health systems where they'll make absolutely sure you see someone, say, the same day visits or sick visits, but it may not be your pediatrician. Hmm. So they, you want to find out if my baby's sick, will you be available for me? If I have questions, will you be available for me? Do you mind sometimes... If I'm not available, talking with my nurse, because sometimes the nurse and the pediatrician are a couple, and she or he knows exactly what you're thinking and can answer some simple questions. So you want to know what the office runs like, what the hours are, uh, what to do in the case of an emergency. 
if it's after hours, how available are they? And if they sort of match your personality, the personality of uh, the mom, the dad, the family. And those, I think, are some of the most important things to look for. After uh, I have a visit with my pediatrician, I'm, I'm always wondering, did I get everything out of that meeting that I should have? Right. What um, should I expect to get out of a visit with my pediatrician? Well, hopefully, when you come out of that visit, all your questions have been answered. So I guess my counsel would be that preparing for that visit, uh, writing down what questions you have, it may sound a little obsessive, but if you have a question at home, you have a little piece of uh, you know, a pad or something, and you write the question down, uh, and you keep doing that, then you're building a list of things you want to ask when you get to the um, visit. And you ask those. One of my favorite things to do, for instance, is the dad who comes in with a list that the mom has written out. <laughs> well, yeah, that might be us. Yeah, leave me out of this. <laughs> For sure. <that's... laughs> but what I do is I take, if there's a written list, I actually write the answer out. Nice. Oh, wow, that that's would be really good. Cool. Yeah. So, because uh, when dad gets home, he's going to forget, you know. 75% of the answers. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what happens in the appointments? Can you walk me through an appointment of what you're looking for? My pediatrician is poking, prodding, listening. What I like to do when I first come in the room is just sit down, uh, and I try and sit at a level so that we're eye to eye, not that I'm sitting above you or anything like that. I just ask how things are going, and I sort of, in my mind, take a mental picture of Let's say you have a three-year-old. Is the three-year-old running around the office or mm-hmm. like a three-year-old would? Or are they sort of quiet? Are they saying much? Are they interactive? Um, same thing almost with uh, babies. You know, are they rolling around? Do they seem happy? Or the baby continuously fussy? And then I might start asking questions about how things are going. Okay. And to me, it's if it's a 15-minute visit, I want it to be interactive, so I may ask some questions, you may ask some, um, and I always make sure at the end that I ask if all your questions have been answered. One of the things we learn in uh, medical training is the oh, by the way question, which is the question you think of just before I'm about to open the door, (laughs) (laughs) and it's probably the most important question you had. Yeah, touching on that, um, what are some of the mistakes that parents typically make at these appointments besides forgetting to ask certain questions? <laughs> well, they always forget the list of questions at home. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> uh, I think uh, really it's just being prepared. Um, I think when you go through that 15-minute uh, appointment, there's about the first half of it is sort of getting comfortable with each other on that day because yeah. maybe you're rushed, maybe the doctor's rushed. Uh, it's getting settled. And so I think the biggest problem parents have is just being prepared. And that's when you forget those questions if you haven't written them down and you walk out and you go, ah, I should have asked that. That's uh, what I run, to, run into a lot is, is uh, I'm, I'm in such a hurry and where's the list? And I, you know, I, this is not as important to me right now as it was. And I wonder about is this is this even relevant to my child because uh, I've got a, a newborn and and then I've got the four year old. Uh, are, are there different questions for different age groups? As your kid gets older, should we be asking different questions? Well, certainly as your child gets older, especially once they become mobile, 
uh, biggest questions usually revolve around safety. What environment they're in. Is your home, do you have firearms in your home? Do you have a pool? Do you have hmm. uh, a dog, a pit bull that attacks the mailman or whatever? Yeah. Uh, and trying to figure out in each situation the child's environment and how safe it is for them. I think as pediatricians we all go through uh, sort of the stages of development so we know what, what a two-month-old usually is supposed to do or a nine-month-old. And going through that checklist is... If, for instance, if you have a nine-month-old, are they moving around the house? Are they interacting? Are right. they trying to talk? Um, are they playing with the family dog? Um, and then we ask two questions about uh, nutrition. You know, what are they eating? How soon are they eating it? Okay. And what are you introducing to them? Are we supposed to be looking for different signs to see that they don't have, they, they may have a behavior disorder? Like red flags. Yeah, yeah, red flags, exactly. And it's hard to know that, especially with your first kid. I know. You know what's normal. Exactly. Uh, and that's, again, where you partner with your pediatrician and find out what the range of normal is. You know, things don't necessarily have to happen right at six months of age. Sometimes there's a little wiggle room, and let's say the baby isn't moving around at six months so much. And what you do is you talk about what's the range of normal. Sometimes you give a little more time. There are some things, you know, if they're not moving at all, or if I'm on my exam I find that their muscle strength is unusually weak, then I might, I'll bring that up and talk about how we address that. The real thing is just finding out what the range of normal is. It becomes a little bit easier with each child because you kind of know what to expect. But red flags, other red flags, do they interact with you or grandma or other kids? Do they look in the look you in the eye? Do they smile? Do they move around? There's just a whole range. And, again, you have to kind of learn what that range is. Yeah, it seems like those are certain flags or whatever we just kind of want to be paying attention to at home maybe so that when we go to you, we can say, hey, he's not looking me in the eye, whereas if right. we hadn't thought about that before, we may not even bring it up. Right. And there's the other end of the spectrum, too, where we're reading the Internet and headlines and things like this, which are largely sensationalist. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, if I'm fear-mongering a little, if I'm scared, if I'm over-scared of these things, or if maybe some of the, the urban legends we hear are, are not as accurate – and so I don't want to waste or offend my pediatrician yeah. by asking nonsense questions. Does he have there is no nonsense question, <laughs> though. Really. Really. Uh, I, that's what I believe. That's a great answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, where's your practice again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there, there really isn't. I've been a pediatrician over 25 years. If I look back and think about the times where I could have just gone, eh, no big deal. I remember specifically a mom who came in who had a very active 7-year-old. And he's complaining about pain in his ribs. And this is a kid who played soccer five days a week. Yeah. But there was something about the way the mom described it wasn't quite uh, normal. And so we, we talked about it for a while, and I looked into it. And bottom line, he turned out to have leukemia. Wow. And if I had just blown it off and said, well, he's just sore because he played soccer. Wow. Or if the parent had blown it off and said... Yeah. Now you're just a kid. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so now he's 19 years old in college. So that's good. Right. Happy ending. Yeah, good. that's awesome. Well, I guess we are as parents. We know our child the best. So and that's what I believe. You know your child the best. You're with them 24 seven. All the things you read or hear about. I always say, well, who's with you at two in the morning? Hmm. You know, um, sometimes you just have to make what you feel is the right decision. And if you have problems with that. That's another thing you want to check on. I think I may have mentioned it before that uh, what do you do at 2 a.m.? Is there somebody you can call? And at one point in our child's life, you will drop him. I mean, uh, he will fall on his head. So, um, <laughs> at one point? <laughs> um, what do you do in that case? Who do you call? How do you prepare for that? We'll discuss all that when we return. Welcome back. We're talking with Dr. Johnson on how to prepare for our pediatrician appointments and how to make the most of them. So, Dr. Johnson, we talked about falling, dropping, hurting ourselves. In case of an emergency, who do we contact? I know each office is different, but who do we typically contact during the weekday, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5? And what do we do when our child's sick on a Saturday night or anything like that? And what kind of questions when we call the office or the after-hours line should we be prepared to answer? Well, I think in these day and times that uh, so many healthcare providers are in some sort of group or system, and what, what can their group or system provide? For instance, uh, shameless plug, but uh, <laughs> go ahead. I work for Sharp Reese Steely Medical Group, uh, and we have what's called Nurse Connection. So if you call at any time, twenty four seven, your triage through Nurse Connection. You have the ability, if you want, to talk to whoever the doctor on call is. Okay. Or they can handle some simple things. They'll call us and we'll relay what information we think is needed, whether or not they need to be seen right away or whether it can wait till the next morning. And you want to try and learn those kind of things at your initial visit or when you're interviewing the doctor to find out how do you handle after-hour cases you also want to make sure that if I call at, say, 11 in the morning, that can my child be seen that day if need be? Most pediatricians will work in kids. You know, if they have a schedule of 25 kids, they'll work kids in. Okay. So let's say it's a Saturday and my child has the sniffles. What is the degree of severity that I should call him? Because I felt bad. My child actually had some colic issues when he was just a couple weeks old, and he was just screaming nonstop, and I did not want to bother. I felt I didn't want to bother the pediatrician after hours, and I ended up speaking to a pediatrician, and he he told me to do Mylocon, and it actually worked, and I was glad I called, but I felt so silly calling. Do the doctors go, oh, you just interrupted my dinner with my family our family is used to it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, and again, I think that goes back to there's no silly question. Your baby could be fussy because they have gas. They could be fussy because their bowel's obstructed. Uh, and it's trying to figure out, are there other symptoms that go along with it? Is there so- something out of the ordinary that uh, you can only figure out, let's say, if you ask if I ask enough questions. Okay. And if it's a weekend and I don't want to bother you during dinner, how what's the highest the temperature should get if you have a fever that you should, you know, hey, let's call the doctor now. Well, I think all of us have a different opinion. You know, I've seen kids who have been terribly terribly sick with meningitis and their temps 101. 
uh, and other kids who have a viral infection in their temps 104 and they're kind of running around may not feel the best. But so there is to me no absolute number. Certainly, I think if the temps 105 or something like that, then you should call. Um, and is this rectal or is this mouth or under the arm? What yes. would you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> I prefer. See, I'm old-fashioned. I still prefer oral or rectal, but there are some temporal scans now that are fairly accurate. Yeah. The uh, thermometer I find the least accurate is the one that's put in the ear. Interesting. Uh, because if you have a fever, if you're warm, then you're giving off heat anyway, and it doesn't right. really represent what that temperature, core temperature is. What kind of, of information on our child should... Uh, should we always carry with us? Yeah, like if we're at a soccer game or something. If you're going to be calling, for instance, again, going back to uh, our office, every child has a medical record number, and I assume that's true in a lot of other health systems. So you want to try and carry that because nowadays it's not enough to just give a name. You hmm. want to give name, date of birth, Passport, and medical record number. So we make blood type. <laughs> well, we want to make sure we, uh, if we're looking it up on a screen that we have the right kid okay and the medical record number is usually the most accurate way of finding that and so just at our next appointment just ask the doctor for it right it's on probably all of your billing information etc you just aren't aware to look for it hmm. Hmm. never thought about that and what about id braces i mean we used to have yeah. them with your you know any kind of allergies or, or things like this that not just for the parents uh to be reminded but also if if they're on a soccer field, uh, you know, a few yards down, and you can't get to them, but the, the coach can. Uh, things to that effect. I think ID bracelets or necklaces are a great idea if your child has allergies or a particular health problem. Let's say your child's diabetic. Then you want people to know that. You'd want people like EMTs to have to come out and see your child to know that they're diabetic, if they have hemophilia or something that might drastically alter the way they're taken care of at least initially should we know our child's blood type i know that's a horrible question if we no. don't it's okay. okay i mean unless you're interested in paternity well no what i am um, <laughs> I, I lived in korea for two years and all the kids knew their blood type and i'm like uh i didn't they didn't know anything else but they knew their blood type and i thought that was interesting and then made me feel like oh shoot i don't even know my blood type i have to go blood type's important for sort of elective procedures and things like that but Basically, if uh, there's a accident, you need blood right away. You get O negative blood anyway. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wondered that because I went around when my daughter was five days old asking the pediatrician, nobody took my daughter's blood type. I don't know her blood type. And they're like, we don't do that anymore. It's not. The only reason we do blood types now at birth is if um, the mom is O blood type or RH negative. Otherwise, if mom is A positive, we don't test the baby's, the cord blood or the baby's blood. What types of things should we have at home for our child, the basic home care type things, if they were to get sick, hurt, whatever? I think number one, because it comes up so often, is uh, something for fever or pain, so Tylenol or, or ibuprofen. And of course, you want to make sure that it's appropriate for your child. If your child has uh, some GI problem, you may want to use Tylenol instead of ibuprofen. I find that ibuprofen is generally better for aches and pains. 
and, and either Tylenol or ibuprofen are great for a fever. So you want to have that on hand. I think, too, you want to have Benadryl on hand because we always run into rashes or allergic reactions, and you want to be able to give a dose as quickly as possible. Um, what age can they be to receive Benadryl? My cutoff is about six months. Okay. I know that around six months, you're also starting to introduce new foods to them, some foods that uh, families traditionally give that may not be what's in the normal diet, and there may be reactions to that. So uh, six months to me is the cutoff. Along with Tylenol, Benadryl, Ibuprofen, I think keeping some sort of rehydration fluid, Pedialyte, etc., is something you should probably have at home. As far as if you're not at home, I think the one thing I'd want to have is probably Tylenol or the ibuprofen uh, in the car, in my diaper bag, etc. You know, in keeping with that same question, are there any reliable uh, websites um, that that you would recommend in terms of Quick treatments, immediate treatments. You know, you go to WebMD and it's like, oh, it's cancer. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit extreme, you know, alarming. Is there anything that you would recommend in terms of where a parent can check in the event of something happening? There yeah. is so the they Ameri- don't call you at two a.m. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. They often do. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a great website for families and kids. It's pretty simple. What I like is it's in English. So it's not in medical speak. Right. Layman's <laughs> uh, terms. And it uh, gives you some helpful hints, not only on physical problems, but developmental, emotional, safety. I was always kind of like a, uh, as a kid growing up, like a rub some dirt on it. I never wanted to go to the doctor. <laughs> and, uh, I never wanted my, pa- my parents to take me to the doctor. Um, what are some things that I can look for uh, with my daughter when, when she gets sick? that I should know are probably signs that she needs to see the doctor relatively quickly beyond temperature. Rather than rub dirt on it? Yeah. (laughs) That, again, goes back to you know your daughter or uh, child the best. Let's say they say my leg hurts and they're actually not using their leg. A lot of kids will say their leg hurt and then go play. Right. Right. And that's when you kind of go, yeah, right. Uh, But if there's something out of the ordinary – uh, and again, it goes back to no question is uh, irrelevant or silly. If you feel there's something abnormal, you have to kind of be prepared to explain that. Let's say your child is kind of hyperactive and all of a sudden they're just not moving. Uh, whether or not they have a temp or not, that might be a time when you'd want to call and figure out what's going on. Well, great. Thanks so much, Dr. Johnson, for helping us today and how to be better prepared to talk to our pediatricians and their offices when things arise. If you want to learn more about Dr. Johnson and his services, simply visit the episode page on our website and look for today's topic, Preparing for Your Pediatrician.
Before we wrap up today's show, here's the latest toy talk. Hello, parent savers. I'm Brian Miller. I own Geppetto's Toy Stores in San Diego. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to talk about toys from your brand new little ones from birth to six months old. At that age, a child's field of vision is very small, 7 to 10 or 12 inches. So that's why high contrast toys are really important. Black and white at first, even red and blue, things with very high contrast that a child can see. Things with sounds. A sound motivates a child to move their head, to listen. Hearing is really developed once the child's born. So even those light, gentle sounds that a toy might make or a music box might make really motivates your child to turn his head, which works the neck muscles. Things with texture and sound. I have a baby toy here that has a crinkly noise. And once a child does that, they're going to see the cause and effect of what happens and also turn their head and move. Things that are easy to grasp for a little one. At that age, zero to three, four, five months, a child is using their whole hand to grasp the toy. So you want to make sure it's something easy for them to grasp. A rattle with a big loop is an easy thing to grasp. We sell quite a few toys that almost look like atoms, where there are big holes in between the pieces, and a child can put their whole arm there and shake it and make the toy move. Those are excellent toys for newborns. You want to give a child a whole body workout, meaning when they're on their back playing with the gym with toys above their head, they're moving all their arms and their legs, and they're seeing what's above them and moving their neck. All of those develop muscles and motor skills. Those are excellent. Even tummy time, mirrors. When a child sees their face in a mirror, that's motivating because they see something moving. They don't know it's their face, but they know something over there is moving, and that's very attractive. You can visit our website, geppettostoys.com, for more information. Or for future ideas, listen to Parent Savers for more toy tips in the future. Well, that wraps up our first episode of Parent Savers. Uh, If you have a parent topic you'd like to suggest, we'd love to hear it. Visit our website, www.parentsavers.com, and send us an email through the contact link. If you have any specific questions for Dr. Johnson himself about today's show or the topics we discussed, call our Parent Savers hotline at 619-866-4775 and leave a message, and we'll answer your question in an upcoming episode. Coming up next week, we'll learn about some simple recipes for making your own baby food. Thanks for listening to Parent Savers, empowering new parents everywhere. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of new mommy media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.